Hello and welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Peter Bell, and we are on Lord's Day number 30 for Catechism Saturday. And real quick, before we start this episode, if you guys have not yet listened to Monday's podcast with Dr. John Curry of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, please do yourself a favor. He talks about the Reformed pastor in his office. So understanding the Reformed pastor and his office. If you're a member of a church under a Reformed pastor or under a pastor, it is great to know what to look for in a pastor. If you're looking for a Reformed church, it's great to know what to look for. And then Thursday's episode, Book Club, with Dr. Adinus Vaidu on The Same God Who Works All Things, published by Erdman's. He talks about his big key word is inseparable operations, how the Trinity works both in the incarnation and eternally. So please do yourself a favor, listen to that episode. So let's start. We are covering question answers 80 to 82 today. So first question, question 80. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? Answer, the Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven, at the right hand of the Father. And this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ, unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, and there is, and, and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and a cursed idolatry. So strong words from Rosinus, and here's his exposition. This question is necessary on account of the errors and horrid abuses which the mass has introduced into the church. We reject the idea of the mass, he says, and also the term itself, for the reason that it does not belong to the Lord's Supper, which has nothing (coughs) in common with the mass, although some of the ancient writers employed the term. Nor is there any necessity that we should use this term, inasmuch as we have other words which express this mystery in a more striking manner, which are extant in the scriptures which call it the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord, the breaking of the bread. Here are the differences between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass, which are so great as to require that the Mass be wholly abolished. So first... The Lord's Supper testifies to us that we have a free pardon of all sin by the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself has once accomplished on the cross, according as it is said in 1 Corinthians 11, Hebrews 7.27, Hebrews 9.12, Hebrews 9.26, Hebrews 10.10, Hebrews 10.12, and Hebrews 10.14. The Mass, on the other hand, teaches that the living and the dead have not the pardon of sins to the sufferings of Christ unless Christ is also daily offered for them by the priests. Second, the Lord's Supper testifies to us according to the articles of our faith that Christ, as to his human nature, is now in heaven 
at the right hand of the Father, and not concealed under the accidents of the bread and wine, but that he exhibits to us in the supper his body and blood to be eaten and drunk by faith, and engrafts us into himself by the Holy Ghost, that we may abide in him and have him abide in us, as it is said in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Hebrews 8, 1, and Hebrews 8, 4. <clears throat> the Mass teaches, on the other hand, that the bread and wine, by virtue of the consecration, are changed into the body and blood of Christ, and that his body and blood in the act of consecration are brought down from heaven, that they are concealed after a bodily manner under the forms of bread and wine, that they are really handled by the hands of the minister, carried about and eaten and received with the mouth by the communicants. Third, the Lord's Supper teaches that Christ is to be worshipped by us in heaven at the right hand of the Father, for it does not overthrow, but establishes the articles of our faith and the doctrine of the whole gospel, which teaches that Christ is to be sought and worshipped above. Then he quotes from Colossians 3.1, Seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. The Mass teaches, on the other hand, that Christ is to be worshipped in the bread, which worship is, without doubt, idolatrous. Question answer 81. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who will also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life, but hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. <clears throat> these are three things to be explained. There are three things to be explained in the exposition of this question. First question, who ought to come to the Lord's Supper? The questions who ought to come and who ought to be admitted to the Supper are distinct and different. Hence, all that ought to come ought also to be admitted, but not all who ought to be admitted ought to come. But only those first who acknowledge their sins and are truly sorrowful for them. Second, who trust that their sins are forgiven them by and for the sake of Christ. And third, who earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy. That is, those only ought to come, those who only ought to come to the Lord's Supper. And they alone are worthy guests of Christ, who live in true faith and repentance. But how shall a person know that they possess these things? First, by having confidence in God and peace of conscience. And Rosinus quotes Romans 5.1. And five, five. Second, from the effects of a true faith, or from the beginning of a true obedience, being both external and internal, and from a sincere desire and purpose to obey all the commandments of God. Those without faith and repentance should abstain from the Lord's Supper, because the sacraments were instituted merely for the faithful, and such as turn to God with sincere hearts, that they might seal unto them the promise of the gospel and confirm their faith. Paul forbids hypocrites and all wicked persons to come to the Lord's table in which words in which in words which admit of no controversy when he commands that everyone examine himself 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. From 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Because when hypocrites and such as turn not to God with sincere hearts come to the Lord's table, they eat and drink judgment to themselves and are guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And then lastly, to these considerations, we may add yet general testimony of scripture, which forbids unbelievers to come to the Lord's Supper and condemns the use of the sacraments on the part of those who are unconverted. Second question. What do the wicked receive in the use of the Lord's Supper? Those without faith do not receive the things signified, but merely the naked signs of bread and wine. For first, because they profane the signs, and by consequence of things signified, by taking to themselves those things which were not instituted for them, but for the disciples of Christ alone. Second, because they profane the covenant of God, by taking to themselves the signs of the covenants, Third, because they do not discern the Lord's body and trample his blood under their feet. And fourth, because they condemn themselves by their own judgment. For in coming to the Lord's table, they profess they approve of this doctrine and they believe that there is no salvation out of Christ. Third question, what is the lawful use of the Lord's Supper? The lawful use of the Lord's Supper is... When the faithful receive in the church the bread and cup of the Lord and show his death so that his receiving may be a pledge of their union with Christ and an application of the whole benefits of our redemption and salvation. It consists in these three things. First, in retaining and observing the rites and ceremonies instituted by Christ. Second, when the rites are observed by those persons for whom they were instituted by Christ, that is, when the bread and wine are received by those whom Christ is designed to receive them, which persons are not his enemies, but his disciples, the faithful. And third, when the supper is received and the whole transaction is directed to the end for which it was instituted by Christ. Last question answer, number 82. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly. No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. So Orsina says, they are to be admitted to the Lord's Supper by the church first, who are of a proper age to examine themselves and to commemorate the Lord's death according to the command, this do in remembrance of me. The infants of the church, therefore, are not admitted to the Lord's table. Second, those who are baptized and who by baptism are made members of the church, the covenant entered into with God in baptism, and this is beautiful, is renewed in the observance of the Lord's Supper. How beautiful is that? Their baptism is renewed as Exodus 24, that, that re-consecration, that re-covenanting with Israel and their God to remember the covenants. We enter in this same covenant. We remember our covenants with Yahweh through Jesus by the power of the Spirit when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember our baptism. And third, 
Those who profess true repentance and faith in word and in deed, or who exhibit a profession of faith and repentance in their uh, deportments, whether it be truly, (coughs) may truly, or sincerely, or by secret hypocrisy. Those, however, are not to be admitted to the Lord's table, who simply declare that they believe all these things, while they continue to lead ungodly and sinful lives. For he that says he believes and yet has not the fruit of faith lies and denies indeed what he affirms in words, according to the declaration of the apostle, where he says they profess that they know God, but in worse they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate from Titus 1.16. So the apostle James declares in chapter 2, verse 20, that faith without works is dead. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of Lord's Day 30 on Catechism Saturday. This is the Lord's Supper Part 3. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for next Monday. We have Dr. A. Craig Troxell talking about preaching to the heart. And we may or may not have a special little surprise at the end of this episode. It's a great episode for the heart behind preaching, what preaching does to our hearts, really does in and through the preach word, the gospel proclaimed week by week, preaching to the heart. And then next Thursday, we have Dr. Andrew Walker from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary talking to us about his book, Liberty for All, why we as Christians should be pushing for religious pluralism because that makes our gospel distinct in culture. And that's what builds the church. So I hope you guys listen to us next week. We'll see you next week on the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. Bye. Hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes, and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys.
We'll see you guys next time.